This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 40, covering Jessica Jones, episode 10, a.k.a. 1000 Cuts. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is episode 40, covering Jessica Jones, a.k.a. 1000 Cuts, which is episode 10 of the Netflix show. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your other hosts, John. Right now at the crew, I'm Chris. Uh, welcome back, guys, and a very happy new year to all of our listeners. Uh, we're recording this podcast just after the new year has uh, has been ushered in, so welcome to 2016. And we're still covering Jessica Jones, the uh, wonderful Netflix TV show. How are you guys? How was your New Year's? It was yeah, good. really good. Yeah. yeah, happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, no, completely happy New Year, and I'm quite happy to say we're in the year of comic book heaven. Absolutely, with, uh, yeah, with all our different. Both DC, sorry to say it, and Marvel having a bucket load of entries this year. May it be a strange one, indeed. <laughs> oh, everything leads to November. <laughs> November 2016, this year. Woohoo! The year arrives. Yes, with the movie release of Doctor Strange, exactly. just in case you haven't been following John's uh, commentary every episode. With some great um, uh, stills released on Entertainment Weekly, which looked pretty cool now. I kind of like the outfit. I'm glad they went with the pick-your-nose collars still. Um, <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, it seemed fresh and really kind of intricate design on... Um, on his cape and sort of the the main suit uh, of the Sorcerer Supreme, really detailed kind of stitch work there, and then of course um, the Eye of Agamotto. Yes, and Benedict Cumberbatch did mention in his interview uh, that that was the first time he put on the costume. He hasn't actually worn it for the filming uh, prior to those photographs that were in Entertainment Weekly. But very cool to see Doctor Strange fully suited up. Definitely, I was more interested in the actual the visual representation of his powers. Mm. That was cool. That was quite because, interesting. But now I'm curious, I think is probably the best way, is, is that what it's going to look like in the film? Yeah. Or yeah. was this just a, give it a magical look a bit for of the a photo? A mock-up for the photo, yeah. And he will be chanting. Yeah, that was well. a great thing I yeah. heard. Um, and the, the, the look of it, the, the one with all the kind of different symbols, that was very Straczynski, I thought, from his run of, um, the, of re-looking at and renewing the, the origins of Strange mm-hmm. in Strange, um, the comic run, I think it was five or six, uh, comic issues. And then, um, I really like that. I like the more lightning kind of look of it for me. That was my kind of bent on it. But then some of the concept art, I loved the one of him in the hospital with his hands, which kind of looked like a photo until you really looked at it and you realized it was concept art, but also the one that looked like it was in space, but it, I think it was him on or going into the astral plane. And if that's how they're going to represent him glowing blue, that looked pretty cool as well. I must say, I was really impressed with that. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff coming up in Doctor Strange, definitely. Uh, along with Doctor Strange in 2016, we've got a ton of other films and uh, and TV shows that we're going to be covering. Uh, we're on episode 10 of Jessica Jones now, obviously, on our Netflix coverage. What was also in the EW magazine was some photographs of season two of Daredevil. And we've had pretty rough confirmation that Daredevil is actually going to be coming out a little bit earlier than we thought in 2016. We've got a rough confirmed date of March and apparently Entertainment Weekly have said that the uh, that, that date wasn't supposed to appear in the magazine. They left it in by mistake so that's possibly they weren't supposed to put that date in or that it was left in uh, and Netflix weren't aware of it or Netflix haven't confirmed it yet but it is very possible that we'll be getting a 
getting Daredevil in March of this year, which should line up almost perfectly with the end of Agent Carter, which is our next show that we'll be covering. So we could be going straight from Jessica Jones to Agent Carter and then directly into Daredevil. So we'll have a lot of podcasts coming up in the first quarter of the year. Absolutely. Just And uh, the eagle eye, some people are looking at the Daredevil costume in mm-hmm. the stills that were released. Yeah. Obviously, we so we have three stills. We have one of Daredevil tied up um, looking at uh, the I'm Punisher. Sure. Yeah. We have uh, Elektra in her normal garb, mm-hmm. her, her civilian wear, and then just another one of uh, basically Daredevil in a meatpacking factory kind of thing. Right. But it looks like the suit's changed again, mm-hmm. slightly from what we saw in the very last episode. So somehow we've got, we saw version one, and this is now version two. Yeah. So it's, I think we're going to get end up very Iron Man esque. It's like Mark five point two. Yeah. Mark, no, no. We just he slowly adds to it and adds to it. So I say by the time we get to the actual defenders, it's not. We could have the black suit. It could be in the yellow suit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think I'm, I'm liking the red suit. Uh, but yeah, definitely some iterations to go on that. But yeah, loads of stuff covering uh, in 2016. Hope you guys have had a, a good New Year celebration, and hopefully uh, you're looking forward to as much stuff coming this year from Marvel and DC, as, as Chris said, as much as we are. Uh, I think it's time to get on with the episode this week, uh, talking about 1,000 Cuts, episode 10 of Jessica Jones. This episode was directed by Rosemary Rodriguez and written again by Dana Barata and uh, Mika Schraft. Um, John, do you want to tell us what we got in this shocking episode? <laughs> shocking is the word. In the aftermath of Kilgrave's escape from his hermetic prison, Things keep on getting worse for Jessica, her friends, and her associates, as events spiral out of control. Evidence against Kilgrave at the abandoned CDC centre is destroyed by a potential new foe who is remorseless in his quest to kill Kilgrave. Hogarth is forced by Kilgrave to her ex-wife's house as he seeks medical attention, but in a manner of speaking she is soon put under the scalpel herself, as her deceitful and manipulative past comes back with a vengeance to haunt her. Despite all these setbacks, there is a glimmer of hope, as the reason for Kilgrave's powers is revealed by his scientist father, Albert. However, as they seek to level the playing field in their fight against Kilgrave, Jessica is faced with a series of choices that will shape the destinies of the people that surround her. You could say that again. <laughs> Lots of Big choices time. in there. Overall, wow. guys. Yeah, overall, what do, you, what do you think, John? Wow. Um, I think for me, actually, the best episode so far. Wow. Um, this was... Two massive shocking moments for me. A really kind of good chase down, I found. And there was the reveal, really, of Simpson and how those pills are affecting him, again, in another shocking manner. And um, then, as one of my big points, all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. Um, It it really, you know, from the moment of triumph where they've got Kilgrave captured and in behind the glass... Uh, it all falls apart and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. Chris, what do you think overall? Good. Yeah, no, no, I liked it. It was, um, it, it seems that we're sticking to the kind of very heroic kind of trope where the hero starts as nothing and then slowly built up, then goes through a larger kind of bad patch, a, mm-hmm. a large drop. And now this is, we've now in the last three episodes, four episodes, we're going to see her slowly try and go back up, but they seem to be going against that slightly, which is, it's just knockback after knockback after knockback for Absolutely. Jessica. I think I prefer that style. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I think it's it's more human, mm-hmm. and I think there's like another thing by the writer, it, it's just well crafted. They're giving 
certain characters more backstory. Another thing we'll get into that more later. Um, but I think that's one of the things I like that we're we're seeing certain characters are being hopefully built up for something greater. And I think that was again. Um, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I kind of agree with John. This is another one of my favorite episodes of the series so far. So much happened in this episode and so many shocking things that we will talk about. Uh, again, if this is your first time joining us, which would be a bit of a surprise, we're 10 episodes into Jessica Jones, so maybe you want to go back and listen to the other ones. But the way we cover our episodes, if we take five points each, that hopefully will cover all the major elements of the episode and we talk them through as we go. So, Derek, then, what's your first point? Uh, my first point is right at the beginning of the episode. I love how it's connected to how uh, episode nine ended, which is essentially Trish on the floor crying because she can't get a bullet inside her head, which was what she was forced to do by Kilgrave. I just love this little concept of of he's left this idea in her head that she has to do this. So she's sitting on the floor pushing a, a, a bullet casing towards her head, trying to fit it inside somehow. And Jessica overturns it and says, just put it in your mouth. Once it's in your mouth, that means it's inside your head. That will explain to your brain that you've done what Kilgrave has said that you must do. And then she's able to escape uh, Kilgrave's grasp, but realizes at this point the real power of Kilgrave. This is the first time, really, that Kilgrave has had an effect on Trish directly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, she's been yeah. involved in taking care of uh, Jessica for years now, or well, for for a year now, after all the impact that Kilgrave has had on her, but this is the first time that he's had an impact on her, and I really can see this is going to have going to have uh, some effect on Trish going forward. Yeah, Trish is quite freaked out by this, yeah. definitely uh, over the course of this episode. But also, I just I, I like the way it follows immediately on from the events of episode nine. It's really good. I think the whole getting the bullet inside the head, as you say, that's just a really nice touch. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, could she shove it up her nose, right. down her ear, uh, something like that like as the well. Mouth is a better idea. Yeah, mouth is definitely uh, a better idea. But uh, yeah, I like this whole immediate follow-on. It was really good. Uh, even just seeing Kilgrave kind of escaping and yeah. Hogarth as well. That was a neat little touch as well. Just how those two who had run out of the the um, the building, how how they kind of connected in by by doing that, which we see uh, later with uh, Hogarth taking uh, Kilgrave for a spin in a car. Yeah, because it kind of ended at the end of episode nine, where Jessica exits the building. It looks like Kilgrave has disappeared in a puff of smoke almost. So I like that they explain. Yeah, that. He's absolutely. Not, he's not Batman. He's not. He's not just <laughs> disappearing into the into the ether. He's gone and gotten into a car and told someone to drive him away, which I liked. Um, but I also, again, to come back a little bit to the influence of Kilgrave, I like the fact that all the way through the episode is Father Albert is constantly looking for a way to cut out his own heart as well because the influence of Kilgrave is still on him as well. So yeah, like that it. persistence of Kilgrave's mind control is really, really good, I think. Yeah. 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 The one thing I think they kind of they kind of briefly brushed over was Officer Clements. Mm-hmm. He was told to follow. Yeah. But then he came back. Didn't they tell he the last thing he says to him was to um to take down Jessica, wasn't it? Yeah. So he, you're right. He should have been still trying to attack that Jessica. Jessica. Yeah. It was just kind of like, then all of a sudden he just kind of wanders back in with a med kit. I was like, okay, I'm going to let it go. I'll yeah. let it go. We'll just go with the story on this one. It's, yeah. it's fine. But it was just slightly, I was like, ah, what? Because that would be a more humorous everything. Every time I turn, he's trying to just like, Rupee tackler. Yeah. It would like, <laughs> randomly, she's just holding him out by yeah. the head like you would a toddler. Although, <laughs> although again, maybe, uh, just thinking it out, out loud, maybe because he did attack her and then she knocked him out, maybe that's 
Yeah. Now, uh, no, exactly. Yeah. Gone with Kilgrave's control. Maybe that's what it was. But that was my first point. Chris, do you want to give us your first one? Yeah. So I'm going to skip ahead slightly to when we're in um, Wendy's house. Mm-hmm. And we got a, a brief tidbit of information and from uh, Hogarth in that she talks about how Kilgrave was going to be a father. Yes. A fetus, mm-hmm. And she brought it to, she gave it to Hammond. Industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hammond's Labs. Yeah. Hammond's Labs, excuse yeah. me. Um, and the bit that I found really funny or interesting was the, the, the part where she says, uh, she did nothing came from it. They tried to replicate the powers yeah. and nothing came from it. And then that's it. it it's too much to be a, a dead end. Yeah. There's too much of something there. I just thought it was a very odd way. And again, we know she wasn't lying because Kilgrave told her. To tell me something I don't know. Yes, I love And she that told lady. the truth. Yeah. So we're going, why the wild goose chase? Mm-hmm. I think is the best way of putting it. So it's like, he's now, he, he let it blow over. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get anything more on it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's in the background. There you go. So now, unless we get something where they're going to now go to the labs mm-hmm. and find lots of other things, but then it leads into, okay, well, we had Luke saying that he was created, and aside from um, Project Rebirth, which is Captain America's kind of the that whole side, I think we discussed it briefly when we talked about Luke and his origins from the Marvel Netflix saying he was experimented upon. Is this where we're going to get? That is that is that we're going to find? We're going to Jessica's going to go into this place in the end of the series or some next episode and mm-hmm. kind of go, oh, okay, so here. And then we just see loads of different kind of medical tubes with different kind of disfigured people and like other super-powered individuals mm-hmm. um, with being experimented upon, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So no, I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. It's too much to be a red herring. Yeah. No, I definitely loved, um, again, as you say, Kilgrave's kind of lead in for this was just tell me something I don't know. And she does. Uh, which again is yeah. watch your words, Kilgrave, because you might get something that you're, that you don't even want. Uh, but he does say to her, now tell me where this child is, where my child is. Uh, even though she describes it as the remains this time, she doesn't describe it as a fetus. She now describes it as the remains. And then he says to her, where's my child? So, uh, Kilgrave is now armed with the knowledge of where his child is. So potentially we'll see that in a future episode. He goes to Hammond Labs to reclaim, um, potentially this, this, uh, the remains. Um, what I did was I looked up what Hammond Labs is and what the connection is. So that's why I remembered the name. Um, Hammond Labs is where the character Speedball came from. He was, uh, at the, the, um, original character was working in Hammond Labs when he was, uh, when an experiment went awry and turned him into the character of Speedball, uh, which as so many Marvel fans might know, he's the, uh, the kickoff of Civil War is the character Speedball exploding and, uh, taking out a city, essentially. So, um, I like the little connection there that there's going to be, uh, that this, this lab exists in the MCU, um, and now could potentially form part of Civil War now. So I like the little call out there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a good little call out, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I love the way that the, so many superheroes are now created by accidents mm-hmm. in labs. You'd think they get better procedures or something at this point. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've had X amount of people suddenly die or yeah. be transformed. Okay, so from now on, extra gloves, people, full body suits. <laughs> Where's health something, and safety? Health and safety. I'm just going like, come on. Yeah. You'd think after a while they just go, okay, we don't want anyone else being radiated by a spider yeah. or bitten by an irradiated spider. So let's just put them in cages from yeah. now on. Yeah, that's a good idea. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I I love the way Kilgrave actually when when he says, "Tell me something I don't know," and she spills the beans. I love. He says how refreshing honesty is mm-hmm. because he wasn't expecting to get a response. I loved that. I thought that was really good. And also we do get confirmation that, you know, she did try to replicate those powers mm-hmm. and that failed. So there's absolute confirmation that she was look- looking to do this, whether it was for professionally for her career as a lawyer or whether it was simply to try and persuade Wendy to sign the papers yeah. Um, her divorce papers, Hogarth's divorce papers, um, we don't know, but like, we do see that she was trying and ultimately it, it failed. So I really like that bit, definitely. Yeah. And I think this leads me on to my first point just about the thousand cuts. Oh, yeah. You know, it's the title of the episode and with some justification, it's a brutal scene, but on so many different levels. Like, I loved the conversation between Wendy and Kilgrave, uh, whilst Wendy's sort of patching him up from the, the bullet wound that Kilgrave sustained. And she just goes, how do you avenge a thousand cuts, you know, over, over the time we've spent together with Hogarth? Yeah. Um, you know, and there's kind of a, almost like a connection between Wendy and Kilgrave as yeah. he's kind of saying, well, I did up, um, Jessica's old house and I got no gratitude either. And all this kind of thing. There's, there's almost like this mini, temporary connection between the two of them um and then as he's leaving because he thinks jessica uh, is at the door he says you want death by a thousand cuts do it as yeah. he tells wendy essentially and you just then get into this absolutely like oh my god this is happening <laughs> like the the thought of paper cuts <laughs> and just how irritating and painful they are yeah. and but that was just like, oh my god. I actually did feel sorry for Hogarth. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then just like she's clasping at the knife to try and stop her and the scream is like a really, um, unsettling scene absolutely. for me. Um, just this almost automaton of Wendy just slicing down across the wrists, across the forearms, the yeah. face, the, the legs. I was like, oh my God. But this was a huge, oh my God moment for yeah. me uh, in and this you, episode. And you get the feeling that by the instruction given by Kilgrave that it is going to be a thousand cuts and it's only number, th- number 1000 is where she's going to slit her throat or something like yeah. that, where it's going to kill her. The other 999 cuts are just going to damage her. That's so brutal and uh, so well put together. And I think we so. only get up to 29 cuts yeah. and there's yeah. already a ton of blood all over the place. Um, you know, before, um, obviously intervention or of Pam into mm-hmm. the proceedings, but like, you know, it's just, Oh my goodness. Like yeah. what a disturbing scene, but really good, really well done. Yeah. And that was, again, was actually one of my points. It was very, it reminded me of some of the kind of classic horror films that mm. we got from say Hammer House Horror before it went, gore, well, seventies gore esque, <laughs> gore, gore phobia, gore, Gortacular, I think they called Gorefest. it. Gorefest. Gorefest. Yeah. Um, it was Gortacular. Like that's like what it was. That. It was so brilliant because it had, even, it was just so well put together, even because you, the, I think it was the, whoever did the access sound mixing for this episode got the, the, if you listen carefully and I got, I re- rewound it, you can hear the blade slicing through the air. Right. That swoosh sound. Yeah. And then the, the kind of blade cutting flesh mm, yeah. cutting through and then obviously we had that amazing scene where Hogarth catches the knife in her hand mm-hmm. and you're like oh oh okay this is brilliant oh, oh. and it was just and then it was just Wendy 
slices the, uh, yeah. the, the knife back. Yeah. And you just see this massive gush across the hand, gash across the hand. Um, it was spectacular and I really thought it was so well put together. For me, this scene was kind of indicative of what Jessica Jones is. We haven't had these spectacular corridor fight scenes like we had in um, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. This is more, I think we've talked about, and I, I, I continuously bring it up, I think this is more of a thinker's um, thriller. Yes. Kind of horror film, like almost like a Norman Bates-styled. So, like, you don't have over-the-top gore. Mm-hmm. You have just enough that will make you kind of, cringe or kind of just go no that's wrong like the lick this was the lick again this was like Kilgrill's lick from I think it was episode episode one one. and this was it but it was more okay well we could just have uh, Wendy beating her with something yeah just continuously beating no 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 death by a thousand cuts yeah just it was like okay slowly one two three and Mm -hmm. when she got up to 22 I think and Hogarth's it's the first time um Carrie Ann Moss carried more the, cause the whole point of Hogarth has been that cold yeah. lawyer. But then you see, uh, Carrie Ann Moss show the pure terror in her. Yeah. Uh, the, survival in the, the survival thing and, comes yeah, in, yeah. It was definitely. fantastic. It was just really well acted. And I think that's why I think, uh, as of right now, I'm still more of a fan of Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Yeah. I love my action, but this show is more, kind of uh, autonomous yeah I think one of the other things I really liked about this scene was that up until he's Kilgrave orders Wendy you know to well you want death by a thousand cuts off you go uh, you know extract your revenge up till that point you know we did find out that Hogarth was the one in cahoots with Kilgrave to to release him Uh Um, but also that once they're back at Wendy's there is a suggestion that he could still tell Wendy to sign Hogarth's divorce papers. Yeah. So you kind of think that maybe it's going down that route. The only slight qualification of it that Kilgrave says is, if I choose to. Mm-hmm. I'm so a man you, of my words. Yeah. That was so yeah. you, you don't know whether he's actually going to do it. And in the end, he turns on Hogarth yeah. and, and gets Wendy to essentially kill her very slowly. And then it's something you would expect from a torture scene where someone's chained up. But because it's in a, you know... Hogarth's pinned down almost in that sense and because it's mind control and it's someone who necessarily wouldn't resort to that uh, kind of violence that's as well what increases the shock value and you're kind of going whoa it's like me doing it to someone under someone's influence you just can't comprehend because you've hit you've heard anyway from all the victims of Kilgrave that they knew that they were doing something that they wanted to stop so i mean how that is impacting on wendy yeah it is like crazy yeah absolutely and uh, as you say chris the fact that this is in a suburban home as well is very different to the kind of stuff that we've seen in other in other shows like Daredevil, this is a very, this isn't two superpowered superpowered beings or a or a ninja versus a versus someone that's been trained for years in martial arts having their big fight sequence. This is a former former wives fighting each other in their home, uh, in their former home essentially. And a doctor. And, and a that's doctor, the yeah. bit where I was like, perfect person to do it, absolutely, because she knows where the vital arteries are, yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons we're going to find that Jerry 
survived. Well, we see that she survived mm-hmm. well, and it's like she only had a few bandages because it was all aimed very particular yeah. and meticulously aimed. If you want to say that, yep, she knows that she can definitely have those nine hundred and ninety nine cuts without killing her. Yeah, uh, and then deal the final blow. But she would have been a bloody pulp. <laughs> if it had gone 999 more cuts it's yeah. going to be like shredded pork yeah. you know that's that's all I kind of was thinking is like how far down this thousand cuts are they going to go so like an amazing kind of concept to, to put on the screen absolutely um, I think definitely yeah yeah. yeah. and leading on from that for my next point it's uh, it's Pam um, Pam jumping in to I suppose save the day um, when you think that there's no way that Hogarth can get out of this situation. The the door is banging. You think it might be Jessica, but it is is in fact Pam who comes in to save the day by killing Wendy. Um, brutal death scene. Unknowingly uh, for, though, not yeah, intentionally. Absolutely, yeah. but but a brutal death scene for poor Wendy. Uh, she's sliced through by uh by the pane of glass on top of the glass tabletop. Makes me want to rethink having a glass tabletop in my own home uh, in mm. case I trip. Yeah, um, I want but, a solid uh, polystyrene absolutely. Uh, coffee table. I think definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But uh, but really brutal scene, and it kind of um it. Pam has always been around in the background. I think I've mentioned it a few times. Every time that Hogarth and Wendy are together, Pam has always been around. Every time they've been together all the way throughout the season so far. And you, it shows here. Uh, there's a reason for that, I suppose. Pam's nervous about uh, about the two of them being together, that there might be something going on between them almost. What's uh, a cheater? So, always a cheater? Yeah, that's what she seems to think. Um, and, yeah, she's questioning whether, you know, wh- why is it that, uh, that um, Hogarth is leading Kilgrave back to... Wendy's home, she knows maybe she's going to use Kilgrave to get Pam to sign the divorce papers, which is in fact what she was doing. Um, but yeah, she ends off murdering her and going into a really bad situation, which is being on the opposite side of uh, of Hogarth. And Hogarth immediately distances herself from Pam. The words that she chooses of it's complicated, essentially. Um, the lies that she starts to tell to, pa- to Pam so that she can distance herself and just put all the blame for the death of Wendy on her and not have any involvement herself. Uh, really, really despicable character, despite the fact that her life was probably saved by Pam. Um, yeah, but a fantastic scene. Yeah, um, I mean, I think this is this was one of my points as well, just that you see um, in a flash the change of uh, Pam and Hogarth's relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, Pam actually coming in to save the woman who she does care for and who she does love even though it has obviously split up Hogarth and, and, and Wendy um, and unintentionally then killing Wendy which I just think is it it's just such a sad death yeah. because Wendy has been in tears she's been absolutely torn up by Hogarth uh, and then she's doing something that's out of her control and by the blow to the head then she's killed with the the table um, corner yeah. going straight through through her head. Um, really sad for 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 Wendy, but then for Pam, it becomes equally tragic because, as you say, she sees Hogarth for what she is. Yeah. Um, like I love how she describes it. That she goes, "Now that I understand your bullshit, that's all I can see." Yeah, it, it's the fact that. She's been fed the similar lines probably before, and she's now seeing as Hogarth is trying to distance herself from it um, and, and really just protect herself. She sees that Hogarth is absolutely 100% selfish to the core. Yeah. 
completely. And, you know, despite losing someone that she's spent time with, married in Wendy, she's still all about herself, completely self-centered and absolutely horrid, horrid person. Yeah. Um, she's, she's got just... a lot of redeeming to do if she is to be, um, Danny Rand's Jerry Hogarth. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Now, so that was part of my point, and I, I'm going to jump in here. I, we briefly talked about it earlier, the downfall, downfall of Hogarth. Mm-hmm. We thought that she, by the end of the series, she'd be redeeming herself. So that she becomes in and comes as part of the Danny Rand. Yeah. I think now this is the exact opposite. Yeah. I think this is the birth of a Wilson Fisk-esque supervillain for the Marvel Netflix universe. Scary, isn't it? Because yeah. it's literally, we've seen her, we heard, we know she was cold as a lawyer, mm-hmm. but now she's now distancing herself from the one she loves. She's killed her ex-wife. Yep. Well, she hasn't, but she has accomplice. She, she's taken aborted fetuses mm-hmm. to try and make some mind control power. She's also looked at trying to get Kilgrave power to, uh, you, we, and she freed Kilgrave. Yeah. She cut the wire. And I think this is now the, this is the birth of a new villain. And I think that's where, again, complete speculation, but she could be the evil, the, the bad, bad person, the, the super villain, super villain, the super villain in the Iron Fist, uh, series. She forcibly takes over Rand Industries or Rand Corporation, mm. whatever they decide to call it. Um, so that she becomes the, the bad person. And we don't get a redeeming factor. I don't know how they can redeem this character back. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting because during this episode, I actually thought that potentially by her being controlled by Kilgrave to be driven home, by ha- him having uh, Wendy attack her with a knife, I thought that all that was going to happen was that uh, that Wendy was going to be stopped by either Jessica, well, probably Jessica is what I thought, and that that would make uh, Hogarth change her ways and become one of the survivor victims, essentially, of of Kilgrave, turn around, and that could have been her redeeming. But they chose to go completely opposite yeah. way than I was expecting and for her to basically throw Pam under the bus. So now the second most despicable character in the show, right behind Kilgrave for me, is Hogarth. Absolutely. And she's gotten exactly what she wants and she has a way of stepping away from it and just leaving all the blame on Pam now. It's like she she didn't even blink. She didn't even consider um, changing direction. She stayed on the straight and narrow yeah. of being a bitter, cold-hearted uh Lawyer, yeah. <laughs> ultimately, there's a and, B, there's a B word there that yeah. we're going to use. But well, yeah. and I <laughs> and I love the fact that you know Jessica kind of points this out. She goes, you know, what you've done to Wendy, um, and what you've done by allowing Kilgrave to control her like this—that's the murder here. And to Pam, she says, what you did was self-defense for the person she loved, but in controlling, um. Uh, Wendy and Pam in everything that Jessica has seen of Hogarth she pinpoints Wendy's uh, death as Hogarth murdering her through Kilgrave's actions ultimately so it's a real sort of uh, the responsibility transfer that even Jessica puts on to Hogarth for Wendy's death is incredible really because technically then we see Hogarth being quite technical about it of I didn't do it. Yeah. It was Pam. But the emotional aspect of it is kind of, yes, 
Hogarth, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> you are the bad person. You are responsible for everything that's happened here by allowing Kilgrave to escape from the CDC centre. Yeah. Yeah. So. And but then we also have Hogarth so leading further speculation to that she may be a super villain type person in either Jessica Jones season two or the Iron Fist or some other type of part. Mm-hmm. Is she knows about Jessica's powers. Yeah. She's building a little army with Hammond Labs, um and yeah. potentially becoming this so we have that kind of Lex Luthor knowing about Clark Kent's alternate persona. Right. But there is no persona. It's just she knows who Jessica is. She knows what Jessica can do. She knows who her friends are. Mm-hmm. She knows about Trish. She knows about... So she knows everything. Yeah. So, like, it's this kind of... It, the, again, I don't see where the redemption can come from. Yeah, I agree. Aside from a huge self-sacrificing part in the next three episodes where she jumps in front of a bullet or something. Yeah, she'd have to do something very big and I'm wondering will she jump in front of a bullet or will there be a bullet with her name on it before the end of the, before the season's out. So either she's a big bad for one of the other shows or our listeners are laughing again about the fact that we have predicted a future for a character that has no future uh, as happened for a number of characters in this episode. <laughs> um, I think that covered off a point for each of us there. Um, who yeah. wants to go next for their point? Well I have another big point go for it but there's a lot of big points there in are this. and that is it's a it's kind of a double header really but primarily it's the shocking jump out of the seat oh my god i can't believe he just did that death of detective clemens oh wow yeah. like i just was so not expecting it even though i knew that um simpson was moving down a darker path that you know he was getting obsessive he was, he was kind of getting secretive and withdrawn from Trish and so on. I didn't think, given the conversation about, ah, oh, you're Detective Clemens from the precinct, ah, oh, you're Sergeant Simpson and all this kind of thing, this kind of professional discourse between the two, I wasn't expecting him to turn around and, and blast a hole through the centre of Clemens' forehead. I was like, and then burn him alive. Him fire, it yeah. was absolutely, like, brutal, remorseless um violence from Simpson. Yeah. Um like get him off that medication. Like <laughs> seriously. Absolutely. He needs to take some of those downers. Uh the blue pills. The blue, the blue pills. pills. Yeah. Definitely. Um yeah, really shocking scene yeah, for time. for many reasons for me. Um number one, I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago that I think the character of Clemens, I was expecting a lot more from him. Um, given he was played by probably one of my favorite characters from The Wire, the actor who plays one of my favorite characters in The Wire, I was expecting to see a lot more of him on screen. Um, we got a lot in episode nine with the character. He stays behind to kind of wait for the cops to turn up. Uh, Simpson's the only cop that turns up and then Simpson shoots, shoots him in the head. I was expecting more from the character, so I was completely taken aback uh, at his death in this episode. Yeah, no, and I, I actually thought again, this character was going to be a more integral part of the of the series of the universe. It's going to be the detective who knows what's going on yeah. with these special powered people, becomes a almost an inside man for the police industry or the police precincts within New York, mm-hmm. within Hell's Kitchen, that we're going to get, oh, okay, this is the one they go to yeah. when she, nope, we're just going to, we're going to kill 
we're losing cops at an amazing rate at this point. Yeah. And cops Absolutely. and uh, journalists. Yeah. And it's just like, no, no, no. Much, I like, think, much like our point during Daredevil that we thought the, the journalist character was going to be a huge character because he is in the comic ben books. Ben Orrick, Orrick, yeah. yeah, he's a huge character in the in the comic books. And, uh, and yeah, obviously he's gone as well. So there's no connection to journalism in the show and there's no connection to the police department other than Simpson there, who doesn't seem to have done a day's work since he took the... Uh, took the tablet. And he destroys all the evidence that they've collected. I mean, this is the guy now that sees no way for Kilgrave to be put away other than by killing him. Yeah. Like, he's he's checked out of the system in terms of the system he used to work for, in terms of law and order. Like, none of it matters to him here. Like, this is, this is a real kind of erosion of his kind of principles yeah. that he's had. And he destroys all that hard work that they've built up to and get evidence to put Kilgrave away. I mean, we see essentially a birth of a villain here. Um, whether he's nuke is another matter. But we also see his relationship with Trish, where she is becoming wary of him. Absolutely. You know, he turns up at the hotel room where Trish and Albert are trying to work on this vaccine. And, you know, you see that she is becoming a bit cautious about him. She, she realizes that he's not all there, you know, as was the case before when, you know, he was beneath the bed sheets. Um, and actually, just you mentioned he may be nuke or may not be nuke. Um, a nice little Easter egg they did was the lighter. When he takes the lighter out of the pocket to torch the lab, the mm-hmm. American sealed lab, the, there's an American flag on the lighter. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So uh, that's what I was like. I oh, so rather than putting the American flag on his face. Yeah. Um, obviously, because that would just be, I think, slightly too comic y. Um, yeah. It was just a nice touch there, I think. Yeah. Just to, Trish to, really would be wary of him. Like, uh, what's that? No. Oh, it's just a nice face paint. Nice, <laughs> a nice, yeah, exactly. Nice tattoo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did love his line to, uh, to Officer Clemens just before killing him is essentially he says, um, there is no jail, there is no evidence, only justice, which really felt like a, a line the Punisher would say. I think I've, I've mentioned before that I feel this character is very similar to the Punisher. Uh, I love that this is his justification to himself, is that there is no system anymore for him. The only system for him is now justice, and he believes the only justice is to kill Kilgrave. Um, I love that line. I just thought it was a really well-delivered line from um, from Will Travel um, as as the character of Simpson, and I think it it, it stands as his kind of. I am sure there's going to be a, a a nuke poster coming out very soon after this series, or a couple of nuke T-shirts with that line. There is no jail. There is no evidence. There's only justice. It really feels like a, a proper uh, supervillain moment. Right? Yeah, and I think I, the more and more I'm looking at these, the, the thinking back, we're just getting. The, the birth of this universe. Mm-hmm. Now, I know people will argue that we've had the Marvel MCU for, what, five, ten years? No, no, no. Well, let's say twelve films. Twelve films. Yeah. Um, the, and they built up that universe. Actually, what we're looking at is the grittier. We've only had a year of the grittier Netflix, Max, whatever you want to call it, universe. Yeah. And so we've had the birth of the Kingpin mm-hmm. now, and now we're getting the birth of potentially an evil Hogarth, a potentially a nuke. Yeah. Uh, from the spilled images or from the images on uh, Enchant Weekly, we're getting the birth of the Punisher mm-hmm. and the birth of Electra. Yeah. It's all built. It's all about birth. Yeah. It's just the origins we're getting. And I, so many people complain that we have a superhero origin. Fatigue. Yeah. I'm actually going. Oh, no, this is how it should be done. Yeah. This is okay. They're explaining 
why someone we've seen Officer Simpson uh, descend into Nuke. Yes. We know he was at some point special ops. Yeah. We know he was already taking this program and pills because he knew who the doctor was. Mm-hmm. He knew the dosages and think, give me the red pill. Oh no, now you've got the red, white and blue pill. Yes. And now we're just seeing that he is, he is becoming the, yeah, I think he's becoming the Punisher of this other because we'll know that the Punisher will probably become the end of season two of Daredevil, a nice person. Maybe. I, I'd, say, I'd say so. They're not going to keep him as a bad person. Do you think they're going to meet up in Daredevil two? Yeah, I think there's going to like this town isn't big enough for the both of us kind of uh, maybe. thing. Again, bit, bit of a western. Again, I'm not sure how Simpson's going to survive when Jessica finds out what he's done. Do you think his head's going to still remain on his shoulders? Um, I, I don't after killing Clemens, putting a bullet through his head, do you think she'll find out? Mm. Well, that's true because yeah. the other thing is they don't know any of this at the moment. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Well, who knows? But it's got to get messy. Yeah. It's really got to get messy because there's got to be the breakup of all breakups between Trish and Simpson. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> and Jessica will not be standing back on that one. Um, Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Sure. Um, and I hate to sound like a negative Nelly in this. Um, I think I know what you're going to say. This one, yeah. Um, for me, the the down part of this ser- of this episode has been the use of Robin. Right. Um, from the start, the characters just. I mean, we've we discussed possibly they're building up the origin of maybe Typhoid Mary or mm. someone else, but she just seems so over the top, and. It never really managed to fit into this gritty world for me. Right. The character was too comic-y, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. They've, they've, they've worked so hard in building up, um, human-like characters with Hogarth, everyone with emotions and a good side, a dark side. But Robin has been very one-dimensional, if you want to call it that. Just the crazy upstairs housemate mm-hmm. who, who loved her brother. Yeah. That was kind of it. And then it was now, she was always in the periphery, and now they suddenly went, no, no, we're going to bring her closer in, bring her deeper in, deeper in. The scene, and I think this is the the, bit, the one that really kind of clinched this her bad usage, was the scene where she overhears Malcolm talking to the rest of the group. Yeah. Like, she, it just made no sense. That she was just sitting there, and then like a really bad Bond villain just spins on the, the diner t- chair <laughs> and goes, "Well, excuse me, hold on, but good morning, Mister Bond." Yeah, kind of piece. And I just, I don't know what it is about the. It was just. I definitely agree with you on that. I think that was the weakest element of this episode, and it was only for a, a brief moment in time. It was where she overhears the Kilgrave support group and Malcolm expressing uh, and confessing to what he's had to do to help um, Jessica and and to obviously remove Reuben to the bottom of the Hudson River. Uh, So it's, I thought that was, seemed a bit convenient. I I didn't really spot anywhere where she was following him for any reason. Mm. Um, it just seemed that she popped up there. It was kind of like a jack in a box a bit yeah. f- for me. Um, but, um, I mean, I don't mind the, the kookiness of her. Um, I don't necessarily think we've seen too much of her. Um, we got in this episode to see much more. And I, I quite like the dynamic that they, um, had 
uh, written for her with with Malcolm, but I definitely think she's kind of like an Annie Wilkes kind of character from Misery, sort of that kooky, you know, dirty birdie kind of thing. There's an <laughs> there's an innocent craziness uh, about her. Yeah. Um, she's always got pet names for things, I think, and I, I kind of quite like that. I don't mind that so much, but I can see what you mean. I think it would be she obviously still you know, up till that point, had to find out about Ruben. Yeah. And I like how that kind of played out where um, it's kind of one of my other points to an extent. Um, I like the fact that she almost did a witch hunt on Jessica by yeah. bringing the people from the support group back to her apartment, inadvertently allowing um, Kilgrave to escape. Um, but, the, you know, a bit of four by five plywood straight across the back of the head twice, took Jessica down, mm-hmm. which was interesting, I thought. Um, but, you know, she kind of leads a witch hunt against Jessica. She's called her um, a, a cougar, charlatan, all this kind of thing, all the way through. And this is like her extracting revenge because she blames now um, Jessica for, for the death of Reuben. But I think that was the part for me that it just didn't click. That when she starts going over and trying to pull the support group or gain their trust and loyalty why would you listen to that crazy person yeah that's the bit i didn't under- right they they've made her such a caricature of that crazy woman upstairs mm-hmm. with the kooky names for things and so would you as a support group listen to a crazy person like that and then you mentioned when she goes in and to the jessica's apartment mm-hmm. it was like Rather than when she was taking the gag off. Yeah. But if they had made that someone else, you'd be feeling, oh, no, don't do that. He's going to talk to you. Okay. With her, it was just like, oh, she's that bloody stupid. Mm-hmm. She's going to be that person, of course. And yeah. Well, she also I... doesn't know what Kilgrave looks like, by the way. But she doesn't know who Kilgrave is. Yeah, so she's releasing a guy that's trapped in Jessica's apartment. So she's the only one that could have done it because everybody else knows who Kilgrave is. But if you had made it anyone else, just a normal bystander, right. you would have had that emotion of like, oh, don't do it, don't right. do it. With her, it's like, oh, just get it over and done with. We know you're going to do it. <laughs> you're that type of this is definitely where I disagree with okay. you, actually, on this. Um, because she has been kooky, but the, the two lines that she delivers in that um in that bar which i think are perfect i mean one of the things is that she calls out malcolm as being two-faced and so and i think there's a genuine hurt there in her face that she's been betrayed by someone who while she knew was friends with jessica she was willing to to kind of go with and trust and so um i like that um and the other one and i think with the group is I feel your sadness, but where's your rage? And she is correctly from someone who doesn't know anything about Kilgrave, thinks that maybe it's made up to an extent mm. because it's about mind control. You know, go, where's your rage? This Jessica is the cause of all of this group, of why you have been manipulated by Kilgrave. It's time to actually deal with the, the source of the problem. I mean, she, but that's because she doesn't know Kilgrave, and I think that's perfect as to how she would react, given how she thinks and views Jessica anyway yeah. in relation to her brother. Um, I think that's a really good way uh, and, and a, a sort of a natural way that she would react. Um, and she doesn't know what he looks like, so it makes sense that she would 
release him and she i think she calls it out she, she's got someone captive in here she just doesn't trust her um now later on in the episode she realizes her mistake yeah. and definitely obviously while she's got a, a noose around her neck i would say she quite clearly does but that bit i really liked the bit i didn't was where as you say she turns around like a bond villain on the swivel stool of the of the bar and yeah. goes like oh really you know she, she yeah. finds it out that way yeah. um it would have been better if she had overheard it between jessica and malcolm in the corridor or something mm-hmm. like that. But I like the way she rallied the group to, to get and, and take down Jessica. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of, it felt natural to me. Absolutely. But it is, it is one of those weird things about this is a support group who is essentially saying you can say anything you want to about your experiences with Kilgrave, yet they're sitting in a public restaurant or a public bar. I don't know whether we know it's a diner or a restaurant. Yeah. But that's very, very unusual for for essentially a group that are that have gone through these kind of experiences because what could happen is the person that you've done something to can overhear you because it's a public space and this is what's happened here. It's it's just a very, very convenient and quite a very you're right, it's probably the weakest part of this episode, definitely, because no group would do this on a regular basis, meet at a restaurant and talk about the kind of stuff that that uh, Malcolm talks about, I chopped up a body and threw it in a river. He gets arrested for that, regardless of the fact that it could be mind control or whatever. Yeah. You know, that could have been just a cop sitting beside and going, "Hang on a second, I've just heard someone uh, someone confess a crime here." You know, uh, they wouldn't talk about it. It's 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 not natural. It's not realistic. Uh, and and considering how realistic the show is, it's an unusual decision for them to do it. No, and I think as I think, I think my point, and I agree with John. So it's like, yes, I, I I see why. I think it was just more with a couple of sentences. She flipped the whole support group into a frenzy mm. to go and attack Jessica's apartment. But only the two men. The the women didn't go with her. That's true. So it's not the whole group. Okay. She's okay. only Sorry, convincing yeah. some of the group. Um, and because actually I think one of the the women in the support group kind of defends the group as to what it's about because she's kind of there going, you're just sat around here talking. You're not doing anything about it. And I think she sees... That they're, they're wallowing or something in, in their own sort of self pity. Mm. Go out now and use the rage and, and, and anger that you've got because she's obviously filled with it and she wants to sort of do express her anger in, in a different way. So that, that's kind of why I liked it. I, I think the other thing is I would definitely agree with, with Derek there about as Malcolm was confessing in a sense, I was like going, no, don't say this like this. This makes no sense yeah. because, yeah, I mean, it's not a patient doctor um, confidentiality thing or a lawyer client confidentiality thing. In a sense, these people should go out and report Malcolm to the police. Yeah. And I don't know how that's going to play out moving forward. And I mean, if he's not immediately arrested or at least brought in as an accessory, because mm-hmm. that wasn't under Kilgrave's control. Yeah, I mean, even, that's the thing. So he even says, this is, this is something I'm doing to protect and help my friend Jessica. Not this is something I'm doing because Kilgrave told me to. You know, that's quite, it, it's, you're right. It's, it's, or I was right. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It is really unusual for him to say all this in front so of So it'd be interesting to see how this plays out yeah. in terms of consequences for Malcolm. I suppose overall, I think this is just my opinion was that this was a plot point that they needed to move along. Mm-hmm. 
And it was like, okay, we'll take the nearest thing available, which is the kooky character neighbor, mm. which they haven't really rounded out. If you think of Robin in comparison to every other character in that show, mm-hmm. every other main character, and in theory, she's a periphery character, but she's more main now. She's been in five, six episodes, four episodes. Yeah. This being probably the fifth, uh, as a point, plot point. She should be a bit more rounded out. We should have had a scene with her by herself, like we've had with Malcolm and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it was just very much a, I think it was just to, to bring the story along. Yeah. And I just, that's the only negative I have. And I agree with all your points, especially the talking in the diner. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, that, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have a support group like AA in a, in a church or a community center or something yeah. like that. Um, this, just seeing, she, I, I don't know what it is about the character that just annoys me. It's just, I think it's possibly that there's just, there's no, if we learned a bit, if she said something about why she is so kooky, why all these other things, if we just got more about why, why she is so kooky, why she had that fascination with her brother, mm-hmm. why just more. Yeah. I think then I would feel a bit. I, I would, wouldn't feel as much negativity towards that, but it just felt that they needed to, like I said, I think three times, it felt like, okay, we need to move this plot point along because Malcolm's got getting away with chopping up with their body. Yeah. All right, let's just flip it. And then I, I, it could have been just delivery mm-hmm. of like the Bond villain swinging around. Yeah. It was I just, think it was. I think, I think for me anyway, and yeah. that's why I knew this was the scene you were going to talk about when you said you had a, a low point of the episode. Cause it was a, it yeah. was a, a bad point for me as well. Um, so much other stuff that went on this episode, definitely. And the, the end of the episode still has Robin involved. So I'm presuming she's coming back next episode, probably another two or three episodes. We'll see more of her. So hopefully we'll get a bit, bit more of a backstory to explain the character that she is. But you're right. We probably should have seen her. I think I even mentioned one of the episodes. We hadn't seen her for three episodes back to back. And you'd expect to have seen her at least once because she was supposed to be living directly upstairs all the time, constantly there. Yet she disappeared for three episodes. Didn't make sense. So, yeah. so she's back. She made an impact. Well, not a great one, unfortunately, in this episode. So hopefully we'll see her back with a bit more of a, an explanation in the next one. Uh, but definitely understand the point. Yeah. That is the, the low point of the episode. Um, John, do you want to give us another point? Yeah, I think it's more just to expand on, you know, the whole, uh, witch hunt that Robin leads in Jessica's apartment. It was, it was kind of one of my points. It was part of my bigger point about, uh, Kilgrave being at Jessica's apartment. You know, and he, he kind of, he dangles the trees in front of Jessica that, because hope is about to be released from prison. And we, we see that he's, he's gone to a judge. He's gone to the probation to say that, you know, she can be released and that actually she's innocent of all the charges. Yeah. So this is looking really hopeful for, for hope. Pardon the, um, the pun, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, and he's willing to do this and to leave, um, everyone alone, uh, in exchange for his dad, Albert. And I love, you know, how he, how he phrases this to Jessica is, you can go back to your life of mediocrity and underachievement, you know, and have hope in return for my dad. Yeah. Um, there's all of this, you know, we have this, this conversation and this dialogue about, you know, there were 18 seconds and this is where you see how delusional Kilgrave is though, that he's basing his future with Jessica. He's bought this house, this childhood home and renovated it in exactly the same way as when 
she was a child, mm. on the basis that for 18 seconds, because he'd been timing it, she was out of his control and she decided to stay with him. Yeah. Uh, and I loved this kind of interplay between the two of them where she remembers it differently yeah. and also remembers it with a bit of fantastical elements uh, attached in with the sort of the white horse uh, that will, you know, whisk her off away, uh, out of harm's way into safety. Yeah. Um, as she's trying to jump off the, the side of, of the building where, uh, Kilgrave's apartment is, you know, maybe six months ago when she was still under the control of Kilgrave, but all not for that 18 seconds. Yeah. But that to me was just like, okay, he's delusional. He's, um, a few fruit and nuts short of a, a fruit cake, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's, he was, um, mad here. He was going kind of crazy about, and obsessed by this 18 seconds. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really nice insight into Kilgrave as well, because yeah, we're saying he's all mad and, um, you know, he's maybe like psychotic and, and all of this, yeah. but he is completely delusional then in regards to Jessica. Yeah. He thinks she loves him because for 18 seconds he didn't have to command yeah. her and he was timing it. Like that's nuts. It's so he crazy. Specifically chose not to give her any commands for 12 hours so that the, so that it would all wear off essentially yeah. and that she would have these 18 seconds. What did you guys think of the fantastical elements as you described them, John, of the, of the white horse coming in? What did you think? It didn't sit 100% well for me. Right, right. Uh, that's, no. what, that's what distracts Jessica so that she doesn't make the leap when yes, she has exactly. that break, isn't it? Yeah. Because it was, it was all in her mind and it was like, that, that was a great shot where she stepped off the building uh-huh. in the yellow dress and fluttered. That was a, Amazing looking uh, from a superpower perspective. Yeah. I love excellent. Yeah. Didn't quite understand the white horse. Now I get it. Now I understand yeah. the white horse taking off this. It was just a bit too, I was like, uh-huh. it just wasn't, it, it was explained then after slightly mm-hmm. that she says, uh, uh, after X amount of times, it was murky to try and get out of your control. Yeah. So it takes your time to build it up. But like, I don't know. It just, it was slightly, as you say, fantastical. Yeah. Like, if they had if they had it just kind of on the precipice of just trying to, um, stumbling back and forward for yeah. 12 seconds, yeah. you would go, oh, oh, she's internally fighting, blah, 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 yeah. kind of thing. It was just too, I didn't, I, I didn't, I think, I suppose, I was watching this with my, my girlfriend, uh-huh. and she was like, what, what's going on? Yeah. Why is there a white horse? And I was like, I had to try and, I had to even go, okay, but this is why she's imagining it. Yeah, it was kind of, it was a hallucination in a flashback. Yes. And so it kind of felt even more fantastical. Yeah. In a sense, it wasn't. It was, as you say, the way that she didn't chuck herself off, off the building after Kilgrave had left her outside on on the terrace. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it seemed a bit strange because that's not happened in any of the previous episodes. Yeah. Okay, you've yeah. had flashbacks, but this kind of taking you out of the moment uh, and sort of to an extent, to an extent, seeing a perception of reality from Jessica. Yeah, it, it, it felt different, I suppose, um, but it, it didn't last for very long. And I think I could understand that and see that. And I thought that was um, really, really good. Yeah. But I think um, I just loved how it explained Kilgrave more and I loved how you know this was all part of a deal that he was brokering with her before she knocks him out and then you know 
gives a nice boot to the head for for good measure to make sure he's knocked out. Yeah. Um. You know, this deal of I'll give you back hope in exchange for my my dad. But yeah. he knows that he's still out there. He knows that they're trying to keep him away from his dad. So I, I thought this was a nice little uh, bit on how the plans all get interrupted then by Robin and this. Yeah this gang from the support group. Yeah. I'm just wondering if the if that little fantastical element as we well, as we're now calling it, I wonder if that's gonna play out a little bit more in, in a future episode because we still don't know why Jessica can resist um the control of Kilgrave at this stage. Um it seems most likely that she's been under his control much longer than anybody else probably in his history since he got these powers. So he lived she lived with him for for almost six months, essentially being under his control every single day uh, and then released for the small amount of time, which is where she has this vision, I suppose, of, of help, of safety, uh, and then doesn't make the decision to to run away and get away from him. Um, so I'm wondering if, there's, if, this, if that's just kind of an indication of, yes, okay, it is 12 hours from one command to the next command, and then you can release yourself from it, but is this the impact it has on your mind? Uh, by being under control for long term from Kilgrave, does it have a bit of an impact on your mind itself uh, and not allowing you to be completely released from it? Well, it had an impact on my mind because when I actually first saw the horse, I went, oh, it's a unicorn. <laughs> I think, actually, if it had done that, that would have made more. <laughs> no, but I, because it was a white horse, I was uh-huh. kind of looking for the horn on on the unicorn's mm. head. I was like, on the horse's head, I should say. It's not a unicorn, it's a horse. <laughs> and I was looking that it was a unicorn, and I was like going, okay, I think that's why I called it a fantastical thing. But it, it was... Um, I, I liked how it explored a bit more of Jessica and Kilgrave's relationship, yeah. basically. Um, I thought that was pretty good. I think, just personally, they had have just... So remember in some of the previous episodes we had a different color. We had the purple color come mm-hmm. on come over when she was hallucinating slightly. Yeah. I think if they had have twisted the color a bit more yellow. Mm-hmm. As in so we like, oh okay, so this isn't it just because it was so real. Real. Yeah. There was and there was no hazing or like even the lens or I think that's what just kind of took yeah. me out. Because I think there already was kind of a bit of hazing because it was a memory and the, yeah. the, they should have done something else to show you that it wasn't just a memory, this is how she remembered yeah. it or something, yeah. But yeah. Purple is about the influence of Kilgrave and yeah. that wasn't, I don't think, him influencing her, so... No, no. Uh, no, but no I know no, what yeah, you mean. They had yeah, yeah, like yeah. a yellow hint or yeah. so, something to just show it wasn't the flashback. Yeah. Because I was like... Or Luke's head just floating there <laughs> yeah. going, don't do it, Jessica. Don't do it. She hadn't met Luke at this point. <laughs> no, I know. But, um, but the interesting thing is, as well, we haven't seen that purple um, coloration quite for quite a while. And I know in this episode, there's the realisation that she's no longer under his control, so you wouldn't expect to see it. But even episodes 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, like none of, none of this kind of... Um, flashing to purple or, mm. or seeing flashing images of Kilgrave like we did say in the first two or three episodes yeah. which is kind of interesting I wonder if they just decided to drop that motif or whether it, I mean even if it I just ve- purposeful. I definitely yeah even purposeful. if it just vagued out a bit more mm. it just seems to have been abruptly like left maybe and I've only kind of noticed that now yeah. after ten episodes Um so maybe they did make the right decision in the end. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's on purpose. And I think Kilgrave says to Jessica in this episode, doesn't he, that uh, I, you realise a lot a lot later than I did 
that you don't have, that I don't have control over you anymore. So maybe as an audience, we were supposed to realize that by the fact that there wasn't this purple color uh, over the top of the last couple of episodes, definitely. So Derek, what's your last point? Uh, my last point is just essentially the explanation for Kilgrave's powers as being a virus. That's definitely not something I would have thought of. Um, that, that essentially Kilgrave's affecting the environment around him for up to 12 hours, giving people a virus that makes them do what he wants them to do. That's a fascinating idea and definitely a first for our Marvel cinematic and TV universe to have a virus being controlled by this character. Well, it's the explanation. I was trying to figure out why the medically sealed room... Because mm-hmm. okay, I was like... I always assumed it was just mind control, so like tele- telepathic control, right. something like that. Yeah. Which you would assume going... Uh, but it doesn't explain why just a block of glass and a sealed room would stop him. Right. I, okay. I just thought it was the sound of his voice. Yeah. 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 But then it turns out it's uh, like... But then it does lead on... There was one bit... It's like then Hogarth had the window open. Mm-hmm. So if she had the window closed in her car, could he not have controlled? <laughs> so like it's, it leads yeah. to more like, oh, okay. So hold on. This is now we know and understand how it was fantastic. It explains the, the super natural, supernatural. No, super, the, the fantastical. Yeah. Well, he is fantastic again. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it's like um, it's like with Richard Matheson with I Am Legend making vampires, then it being a bacterial like a, a disease, a medical kind of condition. A bit like with zombies, this is now it's kind of going down that kind of route. And yeah, what type of barrier prevents it? I yeah. mean, but we have that you know looking for immunity that Jessica's actually immune to it, which means then. Other people, can they catch it? And this is one of the things I then thought about was that Robin has now been in direct contact with, um, with Kilgrave uh, and obviously with Typhoid Mary and she's got some element of mind control. Has she caught some kind of element of his virus where she is able to use it now for her own ends? That milder form or strain that she's caught from him that gives this this mind control, and um, that's what I kind of thought at the end of here. Very I, never, I never thought of it that way. No, and yeah, because then that would explain, and that, that we, it was a great explanation as to why and how they were able to, how he able, and that's when you were talking about the, she can the, be a host, basically. yes, a host, and then yeah. also Jessica. Jessica just built up an immunity. Mm-hmm. That's we, we we obviously don't learn it but it was like oh you you're immune to it uh, the father says yeah no yeah. you're not no i think he wants to knock it eight people so there was a building up a tolerance to the drug because you're controlled for every day for six months yeah you're exposed to Maybe. a virus every day your body will kind of reject, um, it, reject it eventually yeah i thought it was a great way rather than just that she went a bit she managed to just stop his control mm-hmm. this explains that kind of the bus crash, the, the, the walking away, like he was trying to, he was directly forcing and trying to throw these fires at her and yeah. it stopped her. Yeah, but but weirdly, I suppose in this episode, what we do see is that even though her father has been working on, what we do see in this episode is even though his father has been working on a cure for many years for this uh, and has the access to uh, Jessica's blood, he does spray his vaccine on himself uh, just before he goes and meets Kilgrave, but unfortunately, it doesn't actually prevent um, Kilgrave getting to him, does it? It's not. Uh, it it doesn't do the job. It doesn't protect him from the virus that is Kilgrave's voice. Or does it? Yeah. Ah, yeah. see, he okay. he 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 faltered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he smiles. He kind of does a knowing smile towards Jessica, yeah. and then Kilgrave comes okay. in again and says, 
do it now. Yes. And then he starts to, to walk and the, the, I think the camera pans down on his feet and there's kind of like these first stumbling movements. But is he just doing that so that they don't let on? Right. And then, of course, it all goes pear-shaped, that whole uh, situation in the restaurant. It, it kind of, you know, develops in a way that no one was expecting. Mm-hmm. And so he could be that it has worked, but you get the impression that it hasn't. But it's just that knowing smile and look at Jessica. It you kind of go, faltering for yeah, me. has it worked? And maybe it's just a ruse that he's keeping up a pretense. But I think we're still to find that out, definitely. Right. Yeah, I love, I love wordless smiles because they can be taken so many different ways. I, t- I took it as a real apology to Jessica for not solving the riddle that is the, the vaccine, essentially. I thought he was kind of looking at her, giving her the smile, going, oh, well, that didn't work. <laughs> I was thinking, back, back over to you, Jessica. <laughs> back over to you, Jessica, to take him out, you know. Um, John, do you want to give us your final point? Yeah, well, it, it's directly into that scene, which is all hope is lost. Yes. And um, yes. I love the fact oh. that obviously it's a play on her name but that Kilgrave is giving Jessica hope by doing this deal he's still got all his fail safes in place by the fact that uh, you know Malcolm Robin and the two guys from the support group are all there on the bar um at a moment's notice can be uh, directed to hang themselves um and that hope just sees that the only way to to sort of knock Jessica out of this sort of good samaritan uh phase or or notion that she has that she must save everyone is to actually sacrifice herself yeah so that her only focus is then Kilgrave to kill him and she wants him to be killed she absolutely has sacrificed herself by putting the stem of the glass into her neck and again it was just like wow okay not expecting her to do that. I know. Um, I was like, well, three down, how many left to go in the next five minutes? Like, what is going on here? I mean, this was just death, death, death. Yeah. Um, like, shock after shock after shock. So this was like, wow, completely um, just a huge surprise for me in relation to the storyline. Definitely. Um, and but the fact that it was set up throughout the episode, yeah. it, they were preparing us for the death of hope in this episode, but I think because both Wendy and Officer Clemens died in this episode. I just wasn't expecting it to happen with Hope. She says the first time when she's being released, she says, I don't have a home to go to anymore. They've told my brother that, that I've murdered my parents. I can't go home to him anymore. There's nothing left for me, is essentially what Hope is saying when she's on the eve of her release, you know? Um, there's, there was nothing left for this character as described in the episode, so you would be expecting that she'd die at the end of it. But it was still an absolute shock. Um, she's described by Kilgrave when, when, uh, when, uh, Jessica walks into the room, he says, uh, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. The, all of these are elements that are saying hope is going to die at the end of the scene. Be prepared for it. I just wasn't because she's such an innocent character that has been, has been destroyed by Kilgrave and the relationship with Kilgrave from the beginning, from the first episode of the series. I was expecting a little happy ending for her at the end, hopefully getting away from Kilgrave finally, but not given to us. And you have that great scene from the trailer where they all step off the bar as well as Kilgrave sort of distracts Jessica by saying, step off, you know, and they all step off. Like, I loved that from the trailer, just like what's going on here. And to finally see that um, here Mm -hmm. uh, in episode 10 was great. Loved it. Yeah, Yeah, no, and I, I, you're right. It was signpost. There was so many signposts that for this episode that we were going to get this the loss of hope. Yeah. 
Um, Even and, just her name from yeah. from episode one, we should have known that this was Jessica's hope was going to be destroyed yeah. throughout the series. Like that's the whole purpose of the name, I presume. But, yeah. yeah, and then just I, I wasn't. You're right. I wasn't even expecting it. And I think I, I was slightly sad. Yeah. Like I would have liked to see this character get the happy ending. And I, but again, we're in Definitely. this max universe. Yeah. We're not going to get all the smiley happy yeah. pieces that we're not we always get any wanted. of them by this time. No, I'm like I'm kind of like everyone's going to die. Yeah. It's just going to be Jessica. Yeah. Um, we'll leave that to the MCU movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that sugar coated fluff. <laughs> no, it was just for me, and that was kind of my final point as well. Was this scene, and it was just the use of the five threats against Jessica. It was like you can say. Because I, I didn't think... I was like, how the hell was she going to save all of them? Mm-hmm. And that's the bit I was so confused about. I was like... Uh, uh, it's like, so, okay, Hope's still dying, but what? To, what? And then she jumps up and she pulls... Yeah. Now... It's the proper hero's decision, isn't it? It's the yeah. kind of thing that you always see with Batman. You always see it with Superman, where it's like, okay, over here we have... You know, Lois Lane and we have Jimmy Olsen on two sides of a canyon. Which one do you say first? Yeah. It's with Batman, it's we've got Robin and we've got, uh, uh, we've got Batgirl or, or the city of Gotham. Yeah, who, which are you going to save first kind of thing? Yeah. And this is Jessica's choice. Do you save Hope, who you've been trying to save since the first time we met? Or do you save all these other innocents that are that are hanging here? Um, yeah, great, great, great moment. Yeah. yeah, and it was actually even the use of the power, which was fantastic. Yeah. Where she jumped and then she slowly, you could see her muscle straining. And now... She looked slightly underpowered mm-hmm. in comparison to some of the other scenes, but I think it was maybe she was just hanging upside down, gripping. Blah, blah. Maybe. Yeah. I have had this comparison. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't say for what, yeah. uh, but no, it was just a, it was a very well put together finale, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. of this part of the arc. Yeah, Hope's arc yeah. is now done. Yeah, this Absolutely. is we've gone through. Now we're into vengeance. And that's it. It's all guns are all guns blazing. I'm assuming from now on. Absolutely. Um, only well, three episodes left. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, guys, do you have any notes about this episode that we haven't talked about yet? I do. I have a whiskey watch. Um, in this episode, there was a commercial brand that you would use mainly if you were mixing. It was a Scotch whiskey. It was Teachers oh, yeah. Scotch. Yes. yes. Yeah, still, um, yeah. still no Irish whiskey in here. But no, we have, we have none teachers. yet. She's, she likes a Scotch. She is a Scotch drinker or a bourbon drinker, definitely, mm-hmm. uh, based on this. Um, and then, again, just the play on um, the word hope and hope's name. But I, I did like as well Kilgrave saying, I have hope. The person, not the feeling, but I have that too. I'm a hopeful person. I love, I loved how he kind of went down his own track, um, whilst he's talking to Jessica. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, but after that, I think this was rammed full of massive points and big events. And yeah, I, I would agree with Chris that this really does justice. Um, maybe not to everyone's, uh, outcome. But I love that it does justice to Hope's story arc from episode one through to episode ten, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, no, for me, the, 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 the note was David Tennant's performance in the apartment, mm-hmm. not in the, the, the club at the end, which took me a second, by the way, that's the club, the restaurant. That's the restaurant that, uh, that he had made the, made the chef go out. Yes. It's a yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember the, the bar yeah. and I was like, does that, mm. yeah. um, but no, it was for me that his performance there, it was very dark and comical at the same time. Yeah. It was, that is the evil doctor who that we've all, uh, the social media has been talking, the social media. 
my God, I'm 50. <laughs> you know that thing on the internet? <laughs> uh, no, but it's the dark Doctor Who, where it was whimsical, yet kind of creepy. Yeah. And he was like, I, I want this, this, and this. And then she just knocks him out. But that was that was my note. That was a fantastic performance in that one particular scene. Definitely. And I have a note about uh, that Kilgrave as well, because he talk, while he's talking to Wendy, he says that he feels violated by Jessica for the way that she's treated him um, by not accepting his advances, which I think is fascinating, considering most of the show has been about uh, all of the characters around Kilgrave feeling violated by what he's done to them. But Kilgrave is also saying, I feel violated by her accepting me into her life and still not... Uh, not to turning into a person that has been my lover and my companion, essentially, which is really fascinating for him to twist that all around on everybody else around him and blame them for his his feelings. Just thought it was a nice, uh, nice little note. But I think that's all of our, our points in this episode. Uh, Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do. Um, I, uh, although that negative of Robin, um, I still think it was a fantastic episode. It wrapped up a lot of arcs. It raised some new questions that hopefully throughout the remaining three episodes we'll get some kind of resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd give it, like, I'd defend it if I was having to score it before out of five. Right. Um, just losing a bit on the, the character of, of Robin and her use in that scene in the cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, or the diner, excuse me. Um, but overall, it was a strong episode. Again, very well written. Um, the the thousand cuts scene was just brilliant. It was a horror film. Horror film came to life. Yeah, uh, on this celluloid screen. Um, but it was just overall, yeah, it was a really strong episode with two weak scenes. Right, and you can't blame that. Again, we're going into this thirteen hour long film. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have some filler in between where you need to move a plot point along. Yeah. And it, the easiest way to do it is, oh, here was a character X that's rarely used and we'll just throw her in and she can be the plot, the the turning point. But overall, yeah, it was a really good episode. Um, again, I said, four, like, if I had to score it, four out of five. Right. But, yeah. Strong, no, strong I, I, score for me. Yeah. Huh? Strong score for me. Strong yeah. score, because it was, it was fantastic. Just the use of Robin. Right. Literally, I would have given it, I, as John said, he thought it was some of the best episodes he's seen so this season. Uh, I, for me, it would have been mm-hmm. if, except that, except that little bit with Robin. Right. And, or just her character. If they hadn't made it Pam, no, you couldn't make it Pam. No. <laughs> uh, if you could have made it Wendy, if you hadn't killed her. Mm-hmm. Something, just someone. <laughs> someone else on the fringes. Right. Just the use of Robin was too small. They didn't build the character enough. But everything else was fantastic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and John, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Oh, I do. I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. I'm not going to give it a perfect score, which I think I could almost do. Right. And I might want to revise that once 13 episodes are done. Um, but I'm giving this... 49,000 cuts out of 50,000 cuts. Right. And in old currency, that's 4.9 um, knife swipes out of 5. I love this episode. It gave me shocks. It gave me heartache. It was jam-packed with story. It was jam-packed with action. It had the birth of Simpsons character, mm-hmm. which I can't wait to see how that progresses further. It gave essentially then the start of the death nail with 
his and Trisha's relationship, I suspect. I mean, she's certainly wary of him. So I expect that to head south pretty quickly. I loved the sort of the end of Hope's story. I mean, shocking, brutal, uh, unexpected. Clemens' death, unexpected. Hogarth, I mean... Her comeuppance in this in terms of losing the two people that she had a relationship with and essentially losing the respect of Jessica absolutely deserved. Um, but I mean, again, then the, the, the tragedy of, of Wendy's death, I think seeing more backstory with Kilgrave and Jessica and just how delusional he is on top of his psychotic tendencies and his own self-centeredness like unbelievable so for me this was almost perfect as I say for me I loved Robin I loved how she was developed as well but I suppose ultimately just that that reveal of Malcolm um saying that he hid Ruben's body and her finding out the way she did. Mm-hmm. I think it was just that. That's the only reason I don't give the extra thousand cuts on, on onto to this score is for that. And I, I think mainly as well, it's down to the fact that it didn't feel real that Malcolm exposed that side of him in that forum yeah. the way he did and for her to then to turn around like that. But otherwise, I that's that's minor niggles for me. Overall, Absolutely a great jam-packed episode here. Really well written, uh, well directed, well acted, and I am so cannot wait for episode 11. However, I suspect it won't live up to right. what this has delivered. I mean, it's not episode 11's fault. This was just for me really, really, really good and the best episode for me so far. Right, right. Derek, with that uh, resounding endorsement from me, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? No pressure, by the way. No, no pressure. Uh, I'm definitely not going against either of you two. This is uh, one of the best episodes of the show so far. Uh, But so much happened. So much happened. I wasn't able to catch my breath for some of it. Um, The death of Clemens, unfortunately, that's something that that I just was so unexpected for me. And I wish it hadn't happened. The death of Wendy... Again, so unexpected and so shocking, and I wish it hadn't happened. The death of hope, the end of hope, I wish it hadn't happened. I really wish all three of them hadn't happened in this episode at the same time, because there's no way of experiencing emotions for all three of them at the same time in 55 minutes. I, I don't think I have enough in me to to feel for the death of all of these three quite major characters in my head, or three that I thought were going to be quite major characters anyway. Um they do need to start wrapping up these stories as they get towards the end of the series, but I wish we'd had maybe Clemens at the end of last episode, Wendy this episode, and Hope next episode. There's no way the next three episodes could be as at, as high a level as this episode. I think that's that's where my concern is. I don't score these episodes, as you know. If I was, this would definitely be on the high end of, a scale, of my scale. Uh, probably four swinging bodies out of five, uh, closer to Chris. Yeah. Um, maybe something like that. But, um, but yeah, I loved it and I cannot wait for the next three. We're very close to the end here and I'm, uh, I'm can't wait to just cane through the rest of the episodes. Brilliant. But we Brilliant. can't cane through because of you. My fault. My yeah. fault. But yeah. not too long left. Three more weeks to go. Don't, yeah. don't be worrying. 
And I think with that, we have some feedback uh, for this episode of the podcast. Yeah, we have some feedback, which came into the email address, feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. If you want to share your feedback about any episodes of Jessica Jones or as we go into Agent Carter and all the other movies, just make sure you send the feedback to that email address. Uh, our first piece of feedback came from Rebecca Sylvester, uh, entitled Kilgrave versus Kingpin. So this is one of the points that we made on one of our previous episodes. Who would you, who is your favorite villain of the two, Kilgrave or Kingpin? Uh, Rebecca says, if I had to choose to become one of those two characters, it would definitely be Kilgrave. Not only is he powered, but he has no remorse, no guilt. He wants what he wants and then he gets it. There is no tortured soul there. By contrast, Kingpin literally lies awake at night thinking about what has happened and what he's done. He believes his actions are an unpleasant necessity. There is a certain attractive quality to having no con- conscience, I guess. Not being a sociopath myself, there are many times when I have wished I didn't have the conscience to regret an unkind word or deed. Anyway, that's my two cents. Thanks for the podcast. I really enjoy it. The other Rebecca. <laughs> Thanks very much, Rebecca Sylvester, for that one. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, yeah, I think I'm definitely would be Kilgrave. He's got a snappy sense of dress. Plus, it's <laughs> an interesting way that... It's all about him, definitely. And I think we said that before. Uh, and I, I like the point that she brings out with regards to Kingpin that, mm-hmm. you know, he is sat there sweating at night, uh, feeling guilty, um, and just fraught, you know, about what he's doing, even though he sees it as a necessity. I think if we do see him in season two of Daredevil, it'd be interesting to see if he has maybe completely changed in that regard, but he's more comfortable in that skin. Yeah. Because I, I think there's an element where I think his character would progressively become more comfortable with the actions that he does and that nervousness or that fraughtness about him would recede and, and maybe it would need just a, um, a strong woman by his side to, to help him with that. Yeah. It would be interesting to see that, but I don't quite know whether he's in season two of Daredevil. I suspect not, but mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah, I suspect not. I, I think, uh, Kingpin did or Kingpin definitely arrived at the end of season one of Daredevil. He definitely accepted who he was. Um, but yeah, I don't know whether I want to be either of these two. <laughs> I don't know whether I want to be a supervillain, regardless of whether they can, they have the conscience or not. I uh, want to be Lord Vader, actually. <laughs> well, same Disney character, same Disney universe among mm-hmm. part universe. <laughs> They're segmented. Yes. That would be the weirdest crossover ever. If if Loki had opened it to another universe using yeah. the um, Tesseract, um, maybe it would have been Imperial Star Destroyers that came through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? Maybe he opened a portal to a galaxy far, far away, you're saying. Or Mickey Mouse on a, on a steam train chugging yeah. away. Um, no, from my side, it would. Uh, I, it's a tough one. I don't, I don't know who I would choose. I'd probably go Kilgrave as well, um, just because of the power. That would be literally the only thing. Right. Kingpin, I love just for the... He is as psychopathic as Kilgrave from the comic books. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the Netflix universe version is a bit more, yes. Woe is me. I'm going to, to sit in my big, amazing tower and to cry. To begin with. To begin, to begin with. with. Remember, yeah. end of the series, he, yes. he describes himself as the villain. He describes oh. himself as the villain. Yep, thanks very much for that, Rebecca. We yeah, also thank have, you, Rebecca. We also have some more feedback from 108th Sage. Um, 
He says, hello there, oh, hardworking podcasters. Currently, Derek, Chris, and John with Irene, unfortunately absent, right? Um, you got all the spelling right as well there, 108. Uh, very good. Uh, my name is 108 Sage, and I'm based out of Athens, Georgia, so I'll admit to at least 7% of the reason I enjoy your podcast so much is because of your accents. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Why only 7? That's a very strange percentage, but I'll go on. He says at least 7, okay. so uh, we're the 7 percenters, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. The level 7 percenters. Yes. Uh, the rest of those percents are for your insightful points, mix of comic knowledge and fresh approaches, and best of all, Squirrel Girl shout outs. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, I watched Daredevil. Eats nuts, kicks butts. Eats nuts and kicks butts, yes. Uh, I watched. Woo-hoo! I watched Daredevil and listened to your podcast to go along with it, but not until after you had already gotten done with it, so I never felt the need to write in. And then I quite enjoyed your Agent Carter coverage, which was a nice surprise tied over until Jessica Jones dropped. But since I wasn't able to rewatch it with you, I just revisited it in my mind as you discussed the episodes. I found myself even more firm in my suspicion that it might be my single favourite aspect of the MCU so far. There you go. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Though he's only four episodes into Jessica Jones so far, and that's fighting for top spot. Uh, but never felt the need to write in just yet. Now, however, I'm just behind you, having watched episode four of Jessica Jones and then listened to your podcast all about it. Uh, I can finally say some things. I, I read all those people who obviously not dealt with the real Kilgrave as just being the normal stoners, con artists, mentally ill types and not actually referencing any particular character. Though it would be awesome if they adapted the Max rendition of Squadron Supreme, as we'd suggested, uh, and adapted it. They'd have to because there's no uh, there's no direct analogue of some of those characters. 108 goes on to say, I'd love it if Hellcat in costume showed up in a future episode or season of JJ Defenders or her own show. I was reading the Defenders in the latter third of its run or so, and Hellcat was in, then on her way out of the team, as I was first reading it back in the day, uh, in the new Defenders transition period. You mentioned not having seen the actress who plays either Hope or Trish in anything. I saw the actress Rachel Taylor in the short-lived 666 Park Avenue and loved her on it, so was glad I heard... Um, She'd been cast on the show, and she's been even better here. I've never actually heard of 666 Park, haven't you? I believe it was something about the park block. Was you got a, a you took a apartment block in there, you bought it, and all your you made a deal, a contract with the uh, devil, and you're the 666. Yeah, and you got whatever your hearts were desires as part of that. Uh, okay, you yeah. You sold your soul as part of your deed. Interesting. We might have to check that out to see a bit more of Rachel Taylor in the future. Definitely. So 108 finally says, Well, I've introduced, praised, and rambled, so I'll bid each of you adieu, and thank you once again for your time taken to talk TV. Well, we love it. We love hearing your feedback. Thank you very much for that. Hopefully we'll hear some more more from you as you get through the rest of the episode of Jessica Jones. Yeah, thanks 108 for, for that feedback. It's really good. Yeah, and I thank you very much, and I have to agree, if we got some Squadron Supreme... Hyperion action mm-hmm. in there. I don't think it will happen, but I love it. I yeah. would love it. It would really love the idea. And I'd love to see Hellcat as well. I'd love to see how Trish becomes uh, Hellcat. Definitely. Yeah. You know, she's been Patsy. She's Trish. Will we see her as Hellcat or some form of that? I wonder. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, thanks very much for your feedback. Um, if you want to send any more feedback, send it to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe to us at defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes if you if you're an Apple user. Or you can subscribe to us in any good podcast catcher just by searching Defenders TV Podcast. With all the stuff that we've got coming up, hopefully you'll get to join us for all of those episodes. Yeah, and you can also join us on our group or page on Facebook. Just uh, search Defenders TV Podcast or follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. 
But again, thank you so much for listening, and we will uh, speak with you next time. See you guys, and stay away from any uh, ledgers. (laughs) We'll be back next week with episode 11 of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. I've Got the Blues. Looking forward to that, and thanks very much for listening. Bye. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.